All right. All right, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. <laughs> Hope you are going to uh, get some good rest and the relaxation with uh, family, friends, or just your lonesome. <laughs> Anybody ever need to just be by yourself to recharge? Okay, it's like, it's the truth sometimes too, right? So with that in mind, we hope that um, even if, even if you're going to be um, around people and you need to be by yourself, you have a room you can go to and close it, close that door and uh, refresh there. This is going to be a great Labor Day weekend, okay? So welcome, welcome to Second City Church, and we hope that uh, you have uh, enjoyed worshiping God up to this point. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. Looking forward to uh, getting to know you. And um, it is a privilege to worship alongside of you. Today what we're doing is we're continuing our series, which has been called The Good News According to Luke, going through the Gospel of Luke, which is actually the, what the word gospel means. It's good news that Jesus has for us. And um, today what we're um, going to do is actually talk a little bit about how this good news of Jesus actually sheds light on Christian vulnerability. That there's good news for Christian vulnerability. And that it's not a bad word, it's not a dirty word, it's not something that we should avoid, but it's actually something that's good and healthy when we're meeting with the living God, so that through Christian vulnerability, we might actually meet God in his fullness, be touched by him, be changed by him, be empowered by him, and then ultimately be the people he's called us to be. So our focus today is this statement, that Jesus redefines our pain to lead us to his purpose, which is ultimately good. Jesus redefines our pain to lead us to his purpose, which is ultimately good. And to come into all that God has for us, we've got to understand that what God's trying to bring us into is good because he's good, but then ultimately it's going to come through the avenue or the pathway of his purpose by ultimately allowing him to touch the pain points in our lives. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us that we might know you, love you, and walk with you in a real and powerful way. God, we're praying that as each of us have come into this place with different experiences, with different circumstances, even in this moment, that God, you're there to meet with us, both in our triumphs, but also in our pains. And God, we pray that you would redefine them for us, that we might uh, not only know you, but love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about Jesus redefining our pain. The truth is, is that Jesus redefines our pain through his person. He redefines our pain through his person by showing us who he really is. And we see that over and over again in the Gospel of Luke whenever he is redefining for the people of God what it means to be religious, what it actually means to be spiritual, what it means to have a walk with God and encounters with him. And we see that most clearly when he's talking about something called the Sabbath. Today is um, what we call um, for our culture the Sabbath day in our culture because we are setting aside time to worship God. The reason that Chick-fil-A is closed today <laughs> okay, it's not just because Kanye sings about it, but it's because it is because it is because it is the Sabbath that is to be a moment where we get to actually reorient our days, our lives, and worship the living God. But even in Jesus' time 2,000 years ago, the people of God had to redefine the purpose of the Sabbath. And so we read that in Luke 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, On a Sabbath, 
the day of rest, right? Jesus was referring to that which was ultimately the seventh day, right? In all of God's creation, it said he created over a period of time of six days, and on the seventh he rested from all his work. And on this day, the Sabbath, that was to be honored amongst men and women from generation to generation, it says, while he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They weren't supposed to do any type of work, any type of physical activity. They were supposed to breathe, right? And in that good news that God tells us in the Sabbath that he commands us to observe, he wants us to breathe. He wants us to rest from all of our regular work. Matter of fact, Jesus would later say that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, meaning God didn't just make man to acknowledge the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, meaning it was for your benefit, right? To reorient your life. And if you're here in the city of Chicago, you're a hard worker. Amen to that. Okay, you've got big shoulders. We're the city of big shoulders, right? And in the midst of being in the city of big shoulders, good news, God commands some rest. But he said not to work, and the people said, hey, listen, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David, meaning the second king of Israel, man after God's own heart, did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he, again meaning Jesus, knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. Imagine the scene, this man with this withered, crippled hand, and Jesus in front of them all comes and says, come with me and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. He told this man with the withered hand in front of everybody, Stretch out your hand, if you can imagine that. Pretty vulnerable, right? Pretty vulnerable state. The thing that had marked him, the thing that had caused him shame, embarrassment, the thing that had really crippled him throughout his lifetime, Jesus says, stand in front of everybody and stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. (laughs) pretty religious response right missing the whole point (laughs) Jesus came to heal and they're angry that he healed on a Sabbath with this man who stretched out his hand so let me tell you that what we know is that whenever we are trying to encounter Jesus we need to redefine our pain and when Jesus comes to our lives he comes to redefine our pain but a lot of times the re- the place that he starts in the redefinition of our pain with us with our understanding of what religious life or what church life is actually supposed to be like 
Most of us have grown up in a culture or an environment where even if you had exposure to the church, you thought it was all about rules and traditions, right? You thought it was all about the rituals. You thought it was all about staying in your lane, not doing certain things, doing certain other things, all to make you a right man or a right woman in the sight of God. But what we see is that with God, those those things are important. Jesus ultimately says, listen, these commands that I give you are not here to cripple or harm you. They're actually to heal and empower you. They're actually to help you to meet with me, to know me, to love me, and by doing what I say to do, obeying my commands, I'll actually bring you to a place of healing in the midst of this broken world. We know that this world is full of sin. We know that the world as we know it and the pain that we've experienced, whether in our families, whether in our personal relationships, our romantic relationships, whether it just be interacting with people on the subway. How many people can say amen to that? Okay? It's sort of like just interacting there. It's sort of like we experience pain in this world as a product of the world's separation from God and fallenness. Now, God will judge those things, but the truth of the matter is, is that in the midst of us waiting on God to judge it, we are recipients of pain because of it. How many people know that when you are sinned against, it causes pain in your life? And many people have gone to the religious circles hoping to meet Jesus, hoping to see that the thing that they experienced was something different than they had previously thought, something different than the disappointments that they had about religion or spirituality, only to find a bunch of Pharisees there concerned more about the law and you staying in your lane than the healing that God wants to provide in your life. And when Jesus is showing up in the midst of his earthly ministry, he shows up to redefine our pain. He starts by saying, hey, listen, guys, the point of the Sabbath, there is a point to it, but the point to it is that every single week, at the beginning of your week, you would stop, press that reset button, and remember that I'm the priority of your life, that I must be the priority of your life. For all that's coming against you, for all that is grabbing for your attention, right? God is sowing the word every Sunday into your life. But he says, he said later in his parable of the sower, that there are three things that come in to choke the word in your life. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for pleasures or other things that literally come to choke out God's kingdom purposes in your life. But he says the Sabbath was put in place so that every time you recognize it, you are humbling yourself, you're prioritizing God again, and you're saying, God, be Lord of my life. Be ruler of my life. And not only does he want to meet with you, but he wants to nourish you in that place. You see, that's what was happening as the people were going through the grain fields, right? They were hungry. They had basic needs. And he said, in that place, he said, I'm going to give you that which you need, even if you think you got to get it in a way that's un, uh, sort of unusual, right? They went to the, through the grain fields. They ate. And not only that, but David, back in the Old Testament, ate from the bread that was committed, you know, to Sabbath worship. Why? Because he was on the run. He was hungry, and he needed to be fed. God, in his mercy, fed him in that place. God wants to feed you in this place week after week, month after month, year after year. But he doesn't want to just feed you. He wants to heal you. And in this moment of the man with the withered hand, we saw that Jesus said, listen, it's 
not about just going through the motions, but this man who had been living with embarrassment, shame, and pain because of his withered hand came to be healed. Came to be healed. And Jesus actually on the Sabbath redefined pain by saying, listen, I need you to express if you're going to be healed some vulnerability. Some vulnerability before me. Because all of us come in needing to be healed, but a lot of times we don't get healed because we keep up walls. We keep up defenses. We keep up the fronts that actually don't allow people to see or to touch the thing that has actually caused us pain. How many people would agree with that? God brings us into an environment where Jesus, the great physician, is ready to touch, restore, and redeem. But we keep up the fronts saying, when somebody asks you how you're doing today, we say, oh, I'm good, brother. Oh, I'm good, sister. How was your week? Bless, praise the Lord. <laughs> and we walk out of places like this in the same exact way that we came in because Jesus calls us not just to himself, but actually into interaction with a community where he can shed light on that which was done wrong whether by us or to us, bring light to bear in what should have been done by the preaching of his word, showing us what is actually right. And through that redemption, as we come into Christian vulnerability, actually brings strength to us because he heals that which was crippling us. But it takes vulnerability to do so. It takes you opening up your lives in an honest way. In an honest way. And some of us don't even know how to be honest with others because we've not been honest with ourselves about what has crippled us, what has pained us, what has broken us throughout our lifetime. Because you think that to be Christian is ultimately just to be strong all the time. But my Bible says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we're weak, he is strong. And that was, was, was what was shown in that man with the withered hand's life. He was redefining his pain, saying, if you will allow yourself to be seen as weak in front of everybody, I'll make you strong. I'll make you strong. But if you keep up that front, if you keep up that withered hand in your pocket, if you refuse to come <clears throat> to the place and at the time that God says he wants to heal you, he says what cripples you will remain. And it was an act of faith that brought that man into Christian vulnerability so that he could meet Jesus and not be embarrassed not be brought to a place where he was shunned by others, but brought to a place where he was restored and healed. And just like God did it for him, he wants to do it for you and for me. This story is in the scripture because it shows us what God wants to do in your life and in mine as we trust him. But there was a man named John Ortberg who said, the strangest things ha um, thing happens 
when what we have wanted to conceal is brought into the open. We think we're going to die. <laughs> we think we're going to be put to shame. But in fact, we don't die. Instead, we often begin to heal. Has anybody ever experienced that before? That when you finally opened up your life and humbled yourself and allowed somebody else to give you some godly input in your life, God started to redefine your pain. He started to call out the things that you thought that you even experienced in a religious community before that harmed you, that broke you, that actually caused you shame. He started to redefine it by his word and began to heal you in that place when you opened and humbled, opened yourself up in humility. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Well, that's what he wants to do here. Because John Orberg, so though, says it takes a mentality shift because it's a strange truth that I admire vulnerability in other people, but I don't have, but I don't want to have to be vulnerable myself. Right? We can applaud that virtue in other people. Wow, they're so open. Man, they just lay their heart bare. They lay it on the line. They don't, they don't try to hide behind closed doors and keep those skeletons in the closet. They just put it out there. And as they do, Jesus just heals them. I see it. I admire that. And then somebody turns and says, good news, your turn. And you're like, no, 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 no. They've done enough for us all. <laughs> right? They've shared enough for all of us to actually be healed. TMI, TMI. <laughs> right? But when God wants to heal, he brings us through the same procedure. But it's not just to redefine our pain. It's also to redefine our purpose. And Jesus redefines our purpose ultimately through his direction. And we see that as we continue to watch him in his ministry. So first of all, is Christian vulnerability a good thing? Is it good for me to be vulnerable? I hope so, because I'm going to be talking to you about a whole lot of things. And you're like, well, I didn't need to know that. I'm like, well, I needed to share that. <laughs> right? And can God heal you through vulnerability? But here's the point. Look at the person on your right. Right? The back of their head. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the person on the left. Right? That's right. And you can do a quick glance. So you can actually see somebody eye to eye. See, that's actually a good lesson in and of itself, right? Hmm. On the spot ministry. <laughs> when somebody's trying to look you in the eye for that Christian vulnerability, don't just... <laughs> I'm here, but not really. I've shared. Bro, all I've seen is a bunch of hair follicles, okay? <laughs> Christian vulnerability is a good thing. And then he provides direction. Verse 12, in these days, he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, two different Judases, right, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level paved place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the um, seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be 
once again, healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all that crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Isn't that good news? He healed not just some of them, but those who came to him, he healed them all. Isn't that what the Bible says? Has anybody ever, ever removed yourself from being qualified for God's healing, saying he'll do it for other people, but not for me? I've done too much. It's my fault. I shouldn't have ever been there. I shouldn't have ever made that mistake. But God says, in that place, I'll heal you. Because my gospel, good news, is a message of grace. God giving you what you don't deserve rather than ultimately what you do. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is about. But when we realize that, we allow Jesus to redefine not just our pain, but also our purpose. And I love how the gospel of Mark, which was running side by side with Luke, and many people think that the historian Luke was actually pulling from this first account of Mark, who had a firsthand witness from Peter, the apostle, writing from his um, um, own accounts of his walk with the Lord. He redefined this moment in Mark chapter 3. He got more specific when he said, God is going to redefine your purpose through his direction when he said this in Luke, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Same account. He said, and he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Those whom he desired. And let me tell you, you are here today because God desires you. Do you understand that? He said, nobody can in fact come to me unless the Father who sent me, draws him to himself. And so I have confidence that God wants to heal me because God has in fact drawn me to himself. And even if you are here simply by invitation of a co-worker or a neighbor or a friend, you are here because of the desire of God. How many people know it would have been easier to slap that alarm clock and roll over this morning? especially when it was overcast, <laughs> right? I woke up and I tried to convince myself it was still night. <laughs> I was like, I don't got to go. <laughs> it's still nighttime outside. But there's a desire in God that draws you to himself so that you can be healed. But what does he do when he brings you, brings you to himself? It says he called to him those he desired and they came to him, which you've done. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might do two things. Number one, be with him. Be with him. There's nothing greater than just actually getting past just the ritual and actually being with God. Being with him. Spending time with the one that we're reading about today. And if you don't have a daily rhythm that actually allows you to open this word and not just open this Bible and read about him, but then be with him in worship, not just because we're singing songs on a Sunday morning, but turning on your iPod. Oh, iPod. What year? I'm sorry. I just went back in time. Okay. I've been preaching for a while. Okay. It's like turning on your iTunes, right? And actually worshiping God and actually praying, right? Spending time with your MP3 player and your 8-track. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Number one, that you would be with him so that you can be healed. 
And that when you're healed, like we were talking about last week, he might send you out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Oh, yeah, we got real spiritual real quick. This is what the Bible says. That those who are with Jesus might not only be supernaturally healed by him. Can I say amen to that? But that he might invest his supernatural authority in you. To go out, preach this good news, saying, I've been healed. Guess who can be healed too? Who hears me? Who hears me? You. <laughs> Anyone who hears me, you can be healed. But you go out with his authority to drive out demons that are tormenting people. That are keeping people up at night. That are binding people in their souls. How many people know it's good news when God says he came to deliver people of their torment? Deliver people of their torment. And those who've been with Jesus do not go out in their own authority, but they take up Jesus' authority to do what Jesus would do. Isn't that good news? The first thing that happened to me, I know I got freed of my sin when I was a college student. I didn't want to do the things that I was doing before, but there were certain things that tormented me. Am I with me? Anybody ever felt tormented before? And it felt a little bit unnatural. It wasn't just my diet. It wasn't just that I needed to run a little bit more. It wasn't that I just needed the endorphins flowing. There was a supernatural reality where I was like, there's something other that's affecting me. See, this is all throughout the Bible. See, this is why we're going through the Gospels. Because a lot of people want to make a walk with God merely academic. And God said the kingdom of God is not about talk only, just talking about things. It's about power. Power to deliver people. Power to set them free. Power to set them free of not only the accuser because of their sins, but set them free from the torment that's binding them up. Day after day, night after night, doesn't matter how much they get medicated, they cannot break free. Why? Because it has a spiritual root. And God says all of these things are important, right? Do we believe in medicine? Absolutely. Do we believe in counseling? Absolutely. Do we believe in the spiritual power of God to set people free? Thank you. <laughs> we got a witness, right? Absolutely. And when you're with Jesus or you're coming to the place to meet with Jesus, he can set you free. If one thing isn't working, I'm telling you, go to the other, baby. Because God is determined to set you free. When you're with him, you're healed, and then he sends you out to actually be a part of the healing for others. He defines our purpose, but he defines it in such a way that we can love. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you're ultimately being called to love like he does. But once again, going back to that theme of vulnerability, <laughs> it's a vulnerable thing to declare in the authority of Jesus that he can heal somebody if you yourself are struggling right now, right? And, 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 listen, I am tell, let, me, let me open my book. It is a faith journey, right? Because how many people think that Rollins got issues? 
How many people see you could see them clearly on display each Sunday? <laughs> okay. I got issues. But when I stand up here to proclaim the good news of Jesus, I'm proclaiming not myself, but him. Saying that just as I'm being healed, you can be healed too, right? And it takes some Christian vulnerability to love like that on behalf of not just yourself, but others. That they might get healed. And C.S. Lewis spoke about this so well when he spoke about Christian love. He said, first be with God, then actually go in the authority of God to see others set free as well. Why? Because you're not preaching yourself, but you're preaching him as Lord. And he says, there is no safe investment. When you are actually loving others as Christ has loved you, he says, for your direction, understand there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal. Come on, Chicago. <laughs> right? Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can perfectly be, can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. He's saying if you are going to love anybody or anything like Christ, it's going to take that same vulnerability. Not just that you were healed with, but that you offer to other people knowing that you might get hurt in the process. Has anybody ever been hurt while trying to do good to somebody else before? Oh, man. Weekly. Weekly. And my wife's tired of hearing about it. <laughs> Weekly. I'm talking about something that hurt me. And maybe I'm just too sensitive. Maybe. But maybe not. But to love like Jesus loves, it's going to take the same type of vulnerability that you needed to actually meet Jesus and to let him heal you in the first place. He says, I've called you to be with me and then to send you out with the same love and authority that I've given you. And ultimately, he, in that place, redefines good. Last point. He re redefines good for us. And Jesus redefines what is good in this world for us through his perfect character that leads us ultimately to the cross. And in this next uh, section, Jesus is speaking a lot about the blessings and the woes. You remember them to be attitudes, right? And so what are some of those? We're in church, so we're going to read them. He said, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, blessed are you who are poor. I'm going to redefine what's good. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you who weep now. Anybody ever cry, not just visibly, but in your heart? I say that all the time, right? I'm crying in my heart, right? But also at the breakfast table sometimes, the, my, my kids know it. They're like, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> like I'll hear something that really touches me in the Lord. I'll be reading some scripture and then, or some worship song will start playing. And they'll be like, uh-oh, dad's cry face is coming. <laughs> and I'll get contorted. And I'm like, I'm like please excuse yourself or excuse me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Blessed are those who weep now, right? For what? Read it with me. You shall laugh. Good news. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So does that mean that you could be rejected and in the middle of God's will? Does that mean that you can actually have friends who don't agree with you? Your morality, your stances, your convictions, because you're standing on the word of God and you actually being in right standing with God, maybe not with them. Does that mean that could be a reality? You better believe it and you better embrace it. Because that's how they treated the prophets who came before you. But then Jesus flips the script and he says, but woe to you. Okay, so woe means bad. Woe means bad. So these things we don't want to be a part of. Woe to you who are rich. Not saying riches are bad. He's saying, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, if that's all you rest in. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry, if all you're doing is living to be a foodie in this town, right? Woe to you who laugh now, all I'm living for is pleasure for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. When everybody calls my name good and great, woe to me. Isn't that what Jesus said? If all my friends are just like, I love to talk to Ron, he just tickles my ears all the time. Just tells me exactly what I want to hear all the time. I just love him. Anybody ever like, like me growing up just lived to be liked? Oh, I had to die to that when I came to Jesus. I loved being liked. Anybody like being liked in here? Don't lie to me. <laughs> okay? We all like being liked. But when we come to Jesus, you're not always going to be liked. Hello? And he says, woe to you when all men or women speak well of you. Because that's how they treated the false prophets. Woe to you when you're only living for pleasure. Woe to you when you're only living for the weekend, baby. We're in the hybrid culture now, so woe to you for living for when the screen is off, right? <laughs> he said, don't do that way, live that way. Let me redefine what's good. He goes on to talk about loving your enemies. We know that. And I love where he says, God is kind to the grateful and un the ungrateful and the evil. I love that. That just convicts me all the time. 
God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Have you ever met somebody who's ungrateful or evil? Be kind to them, he says. <laughs> Love your enemies, right? He says, judge not and you won't be judged, right? Why do you look at the plank, you know, the, saw, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye while ignoring the plank in your own, right? He says, first, remove the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the sawdust out of your brother's, right? These are all the things that God turns on his head and turns to what's good. But he says this, and this is where we'll end. If you haven't had the ability to do that, it might be because of the kind of tree you are right now. Because he says, starting in verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure, meaning they had to store something up, of his heart produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Let's stop there real quick. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not... Oh, they don't... That's awesome. Thank you, Shermie. <laughs> and do not do what I tell you. One of my favorite things to do, the last story, is when I was a kid... My sister's here. We, we used to go down to Florida. My family was Jamaican. They were Jamaican immigrants. And they came to this country, you know. Jamaicans either go to New York or Florida. We had one group in New York, another group in Florida. <laughs> then we spread out everywhere. <laughs> okay. And I love going down to Florida to see this group of people. Okay. This group of people. You know, I, I don't know if you can see that really well, but that's Little Rally. <laughs> in my Florida weather with a jacket on. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> okay? Grandpa, grandma, okay? And I used to love going down there because here's the thing, one of my favorite parts of the trip is not only could I be vulnerable, but then at the end of the trip, every, without fail, every time he would bring us to the backyard and we'd see this, a Florida orange tree. And it didn't matter what I wanted to get from Grandpa. I knew because of the type of tree he planted, I was going to get that type of fruit. I could have wanted an apple. I could have wanted a plum. I could have wanted something else. I, I love mango. Mango is my favorite fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. But I knew. I knew because an orange tree was planted, the only type of fruit that I was going to get from that tree, leaving Grandpa's house, was a box full of oranges. And in the same way, God's been coming looking for some, to some of your lives for some holy fruit. Some fruit that actually reflects God and his commands. Righteousness, turning away from the sexual mouthy, drunkenness, selfishness, living for pleasure, hedonism, the sin after sin after sin. But all he sees coming out of your life is something different. And he says very plainly, there is no way that a bad tree can produce good fruit. Why? Because you're only going to get what you plant in the root. And for God to change your life, he needs you to come to him so that he might heal you, have you born again, and actually give you a new root in your life. And when you have a new root in your life, you will produce different fruit. You will produce different fruit. And God needs to redefine not just your pain, 
not just your direction, but he needs to redefine what's good in your life. And if you would repent and give your life to him fully as Lord, he can make you a new man or woman and set you free from that religious game that you've been playing up to this point. Jesus walked into the sanctuary and he started to redefine everything. And for you today, if you've only been playing a religious game, it is time to allow God to permanently heal you. Uproot that which is no good and begin to plant you in the house of the Lord so that you might fill, be filled with his word and develop and live according to new and good fruit. In Jesus' name, healed so that you can also be sent to heal others. Amen? Amen. That's where we're going to end. So if we would, let's pray. Father, I thank you for every man and woman in here today. And I thank you that, God, you call us to a place of vulnerability that we might not only open our hearts and our minds before you, but open them towards one another. And God, we know that we've all been affected by sin, whether it be sin we've committed or sin that's been committed against us. And God, we know we've all experienced pain in the midst of that fallenness. And I want to start by praying for anybody in here who says, you know what, I've been like the man with the withered hand, and I've been crippled in my interactions. I've been crippled in my relationships with God and others. And I've hidden behind the pain that's marked me throughout my life. But I want to come to God and actually ask him to heal me of that which has crippled me up to this point. I want to actually, by faith, make this attempt to be vulnerable and allow Jesus to redefine the pain in my life. If that's you today and you feel like Jesus is saying, come and stand, come and stand with me, come and meet with me, that I might touch you and heal you of that pain which has crippled you. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you first. Okay? Anyone else? Okay. Would you be a good father now? God, by the Holy Spirit, would you tangibly meet with your people? Would you touch and encourage their hearts? May you redefine their pain and allow them to see you clearly as a healer, as a good savior who ultimately calls people to yourself through the cross to be a friend. God, I'm asking that it wouldn't just be in this moment, but you would give every man and woman raising their hand the strength to, before they even leave, interact with somebody. To stretch out that hand and communicate that pain. And that, Father, as the pain is communicated, that, God, the hearers, the listeners would have your ears. The listeners would have your heart. And on our lips, we would have your truth. And that as we respond to the pain that's been shared, that God, we might hear your voice. And that you would begin to bring healing, not just in this moment, but throughout the week in community groups and relationships and ongoing love expressed towards one another. 
set your people free in Jesus' name. And for anybody else who says, everybody just keep your focus on God, who says, you know what? I know I need healing, but truth be told, I need more than that. I never have come to Jesus and turned away from my sin. And when I look at the fruit coming out of my life, I know it's nothing but bad fruit. And I felt bound in it, and I need an uprooting of that old fruit or planting of the new root in Christ. I need to come to Jesus as Lord of my life. If that's you in here today, you say, God, I need you to just rehaul my life, redo my life, reconstruct it, give me a second chance, a second opportunity to walk in this life with you. And you know you want to give your life to Jesus as Lord today. If that's you, please raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone at all who says, this is my moment to get right with God? Okay, anyone else? Okay, good. Raise it high. Okay, raise it high. Okay. I'm going to wait. I know there are more. Anyone who says, this is my holy moment to meet with God. Well, if that's you raising your hand, I want you to pray this with me. Almighty God, thank you for your love for me. And thank you for chasing me down even when I was running from you. I thank you that you desire me and I thank you that you're calling me in mercy and love to yourself. Please forgive me my sins today as I proclaim you my Lord. I receive everything that Jesus did for me on the cross and I'm asking you to help me from this point forward live in resurrection life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, again, this is just the beginning. We're going to go back into worship now, have a moment of communion. But if you are responding to God on either of those points today, there'll be people to stand over with you at our prayer banner and online. There'll be people to stand with you if you'd like to click the button and ask for prayer. And let's walk this out together. That's the pattern of God. That's how he does things. And it's ultimately for his glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen? All right, let's go back into worship.